My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And my name is Meg. And, and this, this is, is Animorphology. Animorphology. Everworld Edition. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The end. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The warning, The Decision. The Slow Departure. The Sound Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Conspiracy. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicious Existence. The Unexpected Sacrifice. The Diversion. And the Beginning. Everworld 3, Enter the Enchanted. Okay, book three. How do we feel about April, everyone? Literally like the springtime after a horrible Uh, hard winter. Yeah, this was the best one yet. This is the best of the three. Yes. (laughs) I I hear you, Gray. I think I'm with you, but I think this was... I can defend this as being the best book, and it had a lot of parts that I liked. April's a good protagonist. Yes. Still have a lot to talk about. This was definitely the book that I read uh, when I was in sixth mm. grade because it had, one, uh, the blood transfusion the scene. The blood transfusion. And two, uh, someone singing a song from Rent in a dramatic context. So yep. those are the two scenes I remembered. This is definitely the book I read. We've hit them. Okay. Yeah, Ted, I'm with you. I think this is the best book so far. April felt like the most enjoyable character to read about so far. This also felt like the 90s-est book to me in terms of, like, gender roles and sexism. It was just, like, like, every other page there was, like, something about that. It also is, like, horrifically Anglo-centric. Those are my big complaints. Also, Ted, you were saying that, like, they finally find a goal. They do, but at the end of the book, it takes three entire books in the series for them to like get a goal and uh i think that's too long yeah that's what i was gonna say like that's one of the things yeah. I-, I can talk about it later <laughs> great what do you think i agree it's um i am a huge fan of arthurian legends so i was very much hoping to enjoy those aspects of this book and then i didn't uh <laughs> and so it was definitely better than the first two. It was good, but it's be- <laughs> better than the first two. Uh, and, you um, know. I agree with both of those statements. Eventually, they have a goal, and that was great, except it was the last page, and it was real anticlimactic, and I was confused. So I want to hear a summary of what happened in this book, right? <laughs> but first, we have received some comments. Our first episode of Everworld is out there. And people are really excited that we're doing it. But somebody was sa- said, boy, I hope you guys stick with it, even in the second half when it's rockier and it has a very unsatisfying oh, ending. No. So, oh, no! I think they said it was uneven. Uneven. I don't know. What, did they say the ending was unsatisfying? I think so. Oh, no. I think so. so. I know. I read that. I was like, the second half? I'm very upset about <laughs> what, that. What, is the first half consistent? Oh, no. But um, but they also they also said that as long as we make it to the end. Yeah, they don't care if we turn on the series. And I was like, I'm not sure there's a lot of turning to do. But okay. turn, yeah, sure. When we go from loving it to hating it, <laughs> delighted to see where this adventure will take us. I feel like right now we're giving a lot of benefit and a lot of doubt. So yeah, we're giving it the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> we have doubts. Um, but I feel like we're not going to have doubts the whole way through. I feel our doubts will soon become knowledge Certainties. and opinions. Certainties. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Yikes. I mean, we might still have some doubts, like, why and what? (laughs) Yes, the benefit will definitely be reduced. So great. You want to summarize Enter the Enchanted? Would you like to hear what happens in this book? I'd love to. I read it like two weeks ago, so So actually, yes. So to hear what happens. Great. I read it on Thanksgiving morning. I woke up. And I read this book because no one else was awake on Thanksgiving. And then I ate (laughs) for five days solid. (laughs) Did you give thanks for this book? No. (laughs) Uh, Let's see how this goes. As per usual, probably I'll miss some things. But, you know, you'll let me know. It's fine. All right. So Everworld, Enter the Enchanted, opens up vaguely where we left off with a description of a dragon flying in over our protagonists and an extended description of how a flying dragon disproves physics, which was my first time of being like, no. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, Gray. Are you saying that dragons, flying dragons that breathe fire are physically possible? Yes. I am so curious to hear more about this. I will explain to you. (laughs) Not really. All right, so it turns out that the dragon is serving Merlin, whom we met in the second book. And the dragon is there to get Senna. David and Christopher try to defend her, and April and Jaleel just kind of hang back and watch. Galahad shows up. Yay! And he fights the dragon, which was my first place where I was like, what's happening here? (laughs) April gets hit on the head by the dragon. She wakes up in a theater rehearsal in the real world and gives us a little bit of her story with her and, and Senna and kind of how they grew up and a little bit about their relationship. We also get some additional details about the other character. And in our world, April has a date with some guy named Mario, who I definitely kept reading as Marco, not Marco, <laughs> just Mario. And she's trying to figure out what to tell her friends about what's going on in Everworld. Also, it turns out that Senna has been missing for a while. Uh, and, and they've just decided to kind of go with that and put out the story that she maybe ran away to find her birth mother and people are like fake sad about it, but also her parents have like given up looking for her because they haven't found a body and it's all a little questionable. Um, April wakes up again in Everworld in Galahad's castle where they are guests or maybe they're prisoners, who can tell. Senna is there. She's definitely magic and she's definitely bad news. She says that she can send them home And also, it turns out that she can control people's minds if she can touch them, possibly. Mm -hmm. And so she, like, when she touches David, he just repeats whatever she's saying. And she promises to release him from her spell uh, as a, like, token of good faith, but then immediately goes back on that. So it doesn't really count. They go to this big banquet. They meet the Knights of the Round Table, which is kind of cool. And they also meet Merlin, but then Loki is there as well. And Loki demands that they give him back his witch, Senna, um, Galahad refuses. And it turns out that everyone in Everworld is trying to figure out what to do in the face of Ka'anor, who is that like alien god, and they call him the God Eater. He's already killed Thor and Arthur. We assume he's killed Thor. Thor disappeared. Thor disappeared, leaving his hammer behind. They think Ka'anor ate him. Yes, it, it, he probably comes back at some point. <laughs> um, so there are a couple different ways of dealing with this. Merlin wants to unite all the gods, everyone in Everworld, and like fight together against Ka'anor. Loki wants everyone to be able to return to the real world, leaving Everworld behind. And he wants to use Senna to do that. She has some way to bridge these two worlds. 
there's this battle over the dinner table during which Merlin brings all of the dead animals they're eating to life, and it's very gross. The five teens attempt to flee the carnage. They end up in the fields outside the castle. And it turns out that Loki's trolls are all out there surrounding the castle. And uh, April attempts to confuse them by setting the fields on fire. Galahad rides in and saves her. Uh, it is less romantic than April would have hoped. <laughs> so they all meet up at the knight's camp. They fight about Senna's motivations. They try to decide what to do next, whether they're going to band together with Galahad and his men against Loki or try to escape or go back to their own world. They don't know what to do. April decides they're going to stick together and fight with Galahad despite Senna. Senna demonstrates that the way for them to go home is literally through her body, and it's very <laughs> weird. I don't understand what happened. It's just weird. All right, and then there's another battle against the trolls in which Galahad is mortally wounded. And here's where that blood transfusion thing you heard about comes in, because they decide that the best way to help is to give him a blood transfusion from April, who at least knows that she's type O, Positive or negative, she yeah. doesn't know, but that's fine. She's type O, grand. Then they're using pens to do it. It is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It also takes an hour to do this. And unsurprisingly, she passes out at the end after telling us that she seems to have given him a quart or two of blood, which is not true. <laughs> She's just, that's not what happened. <laughs> that's, not, that's how much blood you have. <laughs> it's just total. Uh, there's one more battle. Loki appears in, to fight in this battle. Merlin finally uses his power and he grows this tower kind of around them and calls the dragon back. The dragon roasts Loki alive, but that won't kill him. So the teens escape with Galahad. They like dry, you know, drag him out of the battle into the woods. The dragon then appears again and kills Galahad, roasts him to death. This whole thing was completely pointless. Why did we even read this story? <laughs> Galahad dies. They bury him in the woods. April sings Without You from Rent, which is not a great choice. <laughs> what? 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 And then she falls asleep in the woods. They all fall asleep. Then they meet up in our world at Barnes & Noble, where she's reading the story of Galahad. And they decide, and the teens all are discussing what they're going to do. They decide they cannot allow the creatures of Everworld to use Senna to get into our world. So April kind of summarizes it by saying, I don't like it. I wish it hadn't happened, but we're there. Senna is our way home, but our way home is everyone else's gateway to the destruction of our world. There is no escape, not really. So we have to change the world. We have to change Everworld. Bum, bum, bum. I'm confused. Me too. Which part? If Senna is the way back to our world, why isn't the conclusion just, we're going to have to kill Senna? What a great question. I mean, I think it's because Wait, they'll get stuck but there, then... but also... Mm. Yeah, but like, if they're like, we have to change Everworld, we're going to use our lives for, like, just just kill Senna, stay in Everworld, like, if you're, like, willing to sacrifice okay. yourself. No, staying on staying in Everworld is a no-go. They would <laughs> I mean, that seems like a big thing for them to settle for. But they're, they think they're going to be able to change Everworld? Have you read any fantasy books? <laughs> Famously not. Yeah, but they're not, they don't know that they're in a fantasy book. So you think Marco was right in the first Animorphs book? They should have all just given up and not fought. No, I think that if they had been able to, like, 
kill one person who seems to be really evil to, like, get rid of the Yerks, they should have done it in the first book. The lives of the many, needs of the few. But consigning themselves to never see their normal families again. No, I mean, you're right. I, I can see how it would be a tough choice. But, like, that doesn't really even come up as an option for them. It's like, all right, the only way to do it, we're going to have to, like, change everything about this world where we have zero power. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No, it does not. Although, also, like, they kind of have a goal now, but do they all agree on it? Wasn't it, like, April's like, this is what we should do, and David's like, yeah, let's change Everworld, and Julio and Christopher are like, yeah, whatever. I I think this is a weird (laughs) nit to pick with Everworld, because... I think that's more of just like a genre cliche mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is admittedly poorly executed in this book. Yeah. But I think if you were to look at like most YA fantasy protagonists and say, do you really expect your plan to change the world to work? <laughs> okay. You would always let say me, no. Let me clarify that this isn't like a thing I took away from this book. This is just my immediate reaction to the last sentence of Grey's <laughs> summary. This isn't like my thesis statement about this book. No, no, it's fair. But you see what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because the thing is that, like, you're right, at the end, they, their agreement is to some extent unspoken, right? David is happy about it, and April's like, oh, I don't love that David's happy about a thing I did. Fair. Jaleel kind of nods, like, it's not really clear, but he has also summarized the problem and recognizes that's what they have to do. Christopher very rightly points out that not only is this a bad plan, and, like, not really a plan to begin with, Their resources are, and I'm quoting him here, one sword, a backpack with a few pathetic pieces of junk. We're lost, we know nothing, not even how long a day is or what the land is like, or are you crazy? Are you nuts? Don't love his language. I'm kind of on board with his overall thesis. (laughs) So, Ted, the other thing is, it's not just like, wow, it's really unrealistic that these kids are going to, like, change this world. It was unrealistic that the Animorphs would fight the Yurks. Like, whatever, I like that as, like, a premise. It is very selfish of them to try to change the world rather than just killing Senna. Because they could, like, they don't, like, I, I hope that at least Jaleel recognizes that, like, oh, okay, the thing that will actually save our world, it will, like, doom us, but it will save our world if we can kill Senna. Because April's, April doesn't have a plan. She has no way to change this world. She's just gambling on their, I don't know, protagonist abilities and, like, willing to risk the entire world for it. Like, it's not, like, usually in hero- heroes in, like, fantasy or young adult or whatever, like, are being selfless in changing the world. Or at least don't have a selfless option that would save the world and are choosing, like, the selfish, stupid thing. I, I totally get your point. I'm not sure that's always true. But it's probably not I, always true. I haven't really thought it through. I think, that's a good, I think that's a good point. So killing Senna is actually an option that is brought up. Uh, that's basically more or less Merlin's plan. Merlin yeah, says... Yeah, you know what? Merlin's got some good points. Yeah, he says to Galahad, basically, if if the if it comes down to it, if, if you have no other options, just kill Senna. That's the best of a lot of bad choices. So if it's a choice between Loki getting her and being able to use her as a gateway to the other world, just kill her. And Galahad, because he's Galahad, says, I can't do that. I cannot violate my own code of honor to kill a woman. Which, all right, fine, fuck you, but whatever. Actually, Galahad's like, I won't do it unless it's like absolutely necessary. It seems like he is willing to do it. Well, yeah, he kind of comes around when he realizes what a terrible person Senna is. But 
It was one of the weird things about the beginning of the book is that Merlin and Galahad are actually not exactly on the same side. Mm-hmm. They, they're sort of adjacent, but not working together in a way that I found very weird. We haven't seen that kind of oh, infighting. Kind of like that. Yeah, we just mm-hmm. haven't seen it. Like, the Vikings did not have infighting. The Aztecs didn't have infighting. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't get to be as complex because they're not British. They're not British, exactly. That, yeah, that was basically going to be my point. Yeah. Is like, <laughs> all right, I wonder why. Sounds about white. <laughs> I think that I will be disappointed if they don't continue to revisit the idea of kill Santa or not kill Santa. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is pretty reasonable for none of the teens to be like, yes, murdering our friend and trapping our, ourselves forever in yeah. Everworld is the logical course, and yeah, we will decide yeah, yeah, yeah. on it because it's for the greater <laughs> good. Like, I don't think that's... Like, yeah. I do hope that conversation continues to happen. I think... I think, And yeah. that's a good tension. And, like, April is... She's, like... A lot of her interactions with Senna in this book are like, should I just kill her? Should I not kill her? Like, how can we work with well, her? Well, it's interesting that, like, Senna is not... Except for David... Uh, no one likes Senna. Right. Like, it, this reminds me so much of season five of Buffy, which I know you haven't seen yet, Ted. But, I know what happens. Yeah. But, like, where Dawn is the mm-hmm. key and, like, we she must is protect going her. To, yeah, so she's going to open the, like, doors between, like, all the dimensions and let demons into our world, which is pretty much what Senna is going to do. And, yep. Um, but Buffy loves her because she's her little sister. Even though she is the worst. She is very annoying. So there are all these people who are like, we have to destroy the key. Um, and there's like gods who are trying to use the key. And Buffy's like, no, we must protect the key because she loves her. And also she's like a child relative to like Buffy in a way that like Senna is not a child relative to these characters. Like they're all older teens. Um, and so this is like that scenario, but without the love, like... Yeah. We don't, and we don't really have an emotional stake in Senna's survival. It's like interesting that that's not a tension they chose to have exist. There was a Buffy reference. I'm surprised they didn't make more of it. That's a good point. Maybe season, season five had not happened yet. Yeah. Season five mm. hadn't happened yet. Yeah. This oh. is, this came out before this season is, five. So it's yeah. not, I was just, I was just thinking to myself, well, they probably just were watching Buffy and stole the idea. But no, Buffy started in like 96. Buffy started in 96. So this, so this would have been yeah. either three or maybe even starting season four. Maybe four. I think, Maybe yeah. I think three Joss probably. Whedon read Everworld, and <laughs> that's where he got the idea of And it. he was like, I could do this so much better, and then he did. <laughs> Meg, what were you going to say? I was just wondering, is Rent available for high schools to perform? <laughs> Would it have like been, 95? if it was like this popular, if this is when it came out, I don't know if it would have been available <laughs> to license for a high school performance. I bet, I bet that Abbott did not research this. Mm-hmm. Okay, also, if you're doing Rent in a high school, do you cast Mimi as the redhead, green-eyed girl when you have characters named Magdalena and Consuela around? <laughs> Real like, this high school has Latina people. <laughs> what, <sighs> what are you doing, high school? Why are you casting this girl? But April needs to know how to do drugs. So she can do the that blood transfusion. <laughs> The ways in which Rent was useful in this book were hilarious. Dumbest. It was really, really, really good. Also, Without You is the slowest, dullest song in the show. Yeah. It also, and this is important, does not make sense as a funeral song for Galahad. 
Like, it, it, what are you talking about? It is about the relationship problems between two characters. It does not make sense to sing <laughs> as a like, yeah. oh, you're dying. Well, Let me tell you about what will April happen. April and Galahad had relationship problems. They couldn't make the romance work. April should have sung Take Me Baby or Leave Me. <laughs> I'd have loved that. That'd be much better. But like as a ballad, every single day I walk down the street. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she should have sung something from Urine Town to commemorate her. I, I agree, doesn't something. make sense, but I do sort of understand the like, this is the only arrow in my quiver. I'm, I'm really bummed that this famous legendary knight died. You know and I'm going to do my best. At least she didn't sing, like, Killing You Softly with this song or something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Although, Gray, I agree with you when you mentioned it seemed like a waste that Galahad died after all of that. I remember feeling that the first time I read it. So I'm like, they worked so hard to save his life. And then yeah. just... I know. Oof. The blood transfusion. Yeah. Um, okay, before we get more into Galahad stuff, I was thinking about, like, going back to the what's the deal with Senna, why don't they just kill her stuff? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, Gray, you mentioned, like, we finally at the end get, like, a, the the heroes have a premise. So, like, I think there's a lot of problem problems with the plotting in this book and continuing really? the, like, you know, mythology, <laughs> of the, uh, mythology of the week type plotting. Just, it doesn't seem to be working well at all. But... Here's what I like about the situation that we get about the fate of Everworld, right? It's set up, like, we now have clear stakes. Mm -hmm. They're the gods that we all know and love. They're alien gods, one of which is going to eat all of the gods, um, which they obviously don't want. And Senna is, as weird as that is, literally a door into our world. Mm -hmm. And so either the gods and possibly the god-eater god will flee through that and, like, consume our world, or our heroes will be trapped here forever and mm-hmm. Senna is basically like, I can't stop what's coming, but I can make it not as bad as it is. You just have to trust me. And so she's kind of this like rogue agent. I have my mm-hmm. own. I have my own plan going on. So she's not on Merlin's side, but she's not on Loki's side. And I feel like had we gotten all of that nuance in the first book, I would have been a lot like I feel like that's enough of a premise mm-hmm. hook as like a what are we all doing mm-hmm. here? As opposed to like in the the second book especially they're just like wandering around and they have no idea what's going yeah. on yeah right so like i feel like that all of those pieces like loki versus merlin and senna's trying to do this like third path thing i feel like that's an interesting balance and mm-hmm. could lead to could lead to potential mm-hmm. plot interest later yeah it's very weird that they took so yeah. long to get to the point when like you know the animorphs knew their mission in like chapter 3 like Actually, probably much later because those chapters are very short. But, you know, like the first quarter of the first book. And so clearly they potentially, like Apple Grant potentially understands the importance of that. And it just really didn't happen in this series in any sort of timely manner. Yeah, it took to book three for us to maybe get a thing they're maybe going to do in the future. And it's like, but... And not in a concrete way where they're like, we're going to change the world. It's not like we're going to talk to like this person and get like, there was no like, yeah. It's like if, if Animorphs were about how cool the animals were. Instead yeah, of the Yurk invasion. Yeah, three books exploring the animals. Yeah, because yeah. each book has so far been like, uh, they're very set piece driven instead of character or plot driven. So it's more like, mm. here we have our characters exploring yeah. our different mythologies and sets, 
but our characters haven't actually done anything or wanted to do anything besides. Okay, this is, Meg, this is great Animorphs potential fic. So Cassie gets the power to morph, and then we get three books where she's just teaching her friends about animals, and they're like, <laughs> oh, this is so boring. Why do we have to learn about animal? You know, like, and, and then, then the aliens and then finally they're like, oh my God, aliens are here. And it's like, comes out of left field in the third book. That that's <laughs> I'd still read that. Or it's like if the Animorphs just yeah didn't talk to each other. <laughs> it's just we have one book with Jake just being a lizard. All right, I'm repitching <laughs> the beginning. So when they first land in Everworld, what should happen is they befriend Thor. Thor is gonna be like, hey, I'm gonna help you guys get back to Everworld. I'll get Senna. She's a door. We can use her to get you guys back. Uh-huh. But there's this really dangerous thing. And then Thor gets eaten by an alien god and yeah. trapped there forever, right? Mm. Explains the whole premise. That'd be great. They have a friend <laughs> to explain some stuff to them. You still can do Vikings in the first book. Mm. Come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the first fantasy novel I tried to write, where the first, like, hundred pages, maybe literally, was just, like, the hero walking towards the city where the interesting thing would happen. <laughs> My first fantasy book I tried to write... Bad had an extended breakfast scene with nine people and it went into great detail about how each of them ate their oatmeal because me at age 11 (laughs) thought that would tell you a lot about a person. (laughs) You know, I bet it did. It really did. (laughs) As the oatmeal dribbled off of her chin, I saw a sinister glint in her eye. There was a sinister glint in the oatmeal. You had like... The really active character just loaded it up on a slice of bread and left the room and like someone else piled a ton of sugar into it and and someone mm-hmm. else like was watching everyone else to make sure everyone had enough oatmeal in their bowl. I'm sorry, they I put the oatmeal on toast? <laughs> yep. Okay. They lead a very busy life. Just just checking. That's wanted to make yeah, sure I hadn't yeah. misunderstood. Alright. Um but yeah, I So, okay, so Ka'anor is clearly, like, the big bad of this series. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's a very Sauron big bad. Where, like, there's a threat. There's a threat in the... Looming in the east. east. Yeah. I had to stop and, like, picture the map for a second. I'm like, east. (laughs) Yes. Of course it's the east. The east is always evil. There's this huge threat. His name is Ka'anor. We're going to have to worry about him eventually, but I don't think there's anything personal like tying the characters to him. And he so he hasn't shown up. Yeah. Also, so, it's weird. Why isn't Jaleel being like, there are aliens and they have gods? Yeah. Right? Like, I feel like his skepticism about magic is like at, a, at like an 11. And his skepticism really about aliens is at a zero. It's a great question. <laughs> uh, I guess they curiosity. haven't really met. They really haven't really met they the met aliens. They met the Kuhat. I saw that one. Oh, right, yeah, they met the Kuhash. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, you know the super horrifying book cover? Is that the Kuhash? Mm, maybe. Oh, well, I'll have to, we'll have to look at it. Which book is that? I don't know, like eight or something. Eight or nine, nice. What if we have a Kuhash protagonist? I would love that. <laughs> Kuhash could be dream. the axe! Kuhash. Kuhax. I okay. would die for Kuhax. <laughs> I know we're going to start complaining soon. Let's talk about April. She's a great protagonist. April, April great. felt like an Animorphs character yeah. to me. This is, this is the first time I was like, oh yeah, these people created the Animorphs. I like I her desire to be part of the real world really felt like real to me. Yeah. It really resonated with me. It's the first time I kind of really viscerally felt the like 
oh, I'm part of this fantasy world and I'm trying to lead my normal life. Like, Christopher tried to do that, but, like, he was just terrible and all he wanted to do was watch sitcoms and didn't seem to have any friends, so it didn't really stick. And April, like, has this real life and it was really great to see yeah. it. I feel like, one, she's a very observant protagonist mm-hmm. compared to David and Christopher who are all, like, either they're, like, brooding and, like, internally focused. And I feel like April is, like, really looking at what is there, which is interesting because we're outsiders to Everworld Mm -hmm. and we need as much information as we can. Even though we've been here for three books, we should know more. She is the funny one. Yeah. She's so funny. Like, she talked, when she's talking to herself about, like, don't go into the light and she's, like, stepping on cracks and stuff and talking Mm -hmm. to herself. She's just, like, she has a really good sense of humor that is, like, an undercurrent in her internal monologue. Yeah. Which is, like, it's totally bizarre to me that Christopher is allegedly Christopher the funny that. one. Yeah, he's not funny. Because this is this is the there's the, the most humor in this book out of anything. And she also has the most well-rounded story. Like when when we see her back in in the real world, she has friends, she has hobbies, she has these relationships mm-hmm. with people that are very meaningful and important to her. And then she's struggling with, you know, which of my friends could I tell? I guess I could tell Becca. Like, she's pretty open-minded, but I couldn't tell Magda because she's not going to believe this at all. And, like, you get this sense of her as someone in a theater program with a lot of friends who, like, really just wants to be back there. And I just didn't get that sense from any of the other characters. I don't think the others have friends. I mean, Christopher has Mm -hmm. flunkies. I don't know if like, he has supposedly, friends. Supposedly, he had friends in that first book, like in that first scene. But... Yeah, but he didn't like mention or care about them at oh. all in his book. So, like, yeah, April's the only one who. Well, I mean, okay, I'm. I can't wait for Jaleel's book. My hopes are so high, but like, I'm afraid. <laughs> My hopes are not high. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, but like, My yeah, hopes like, are there. like, there's there is a great. Okay, so not only does she have a life back home. But the connection that she builds, that she starts to build with Galahad and the knights, she also would have a more personal connection than anyone else mm-hmm. would have to Everworld as well. Of course, that mm-hmm. went up in flames. Literally. But it could have oh, happened. Oh, no. Yes. Galahad. Yeah, she Gal. also, she reminded me a little bit of Cassie, sometimes in her emotional insight. Like, I, I remembered while reading this that I think um, Catherine Applegate said that her, that Cassie was the character who felt most like her. And I feel like she's probably writing a little bit of herself here. But I specifically the scene where she takes Jaleel's hand when she's just like woken up from fainting from blood loss. And she's like making him uncomfortable. And like, she's like, he clearly looked around like wanting to let go of my hand, but not being sure what to do. And I was like, yes, this is a very like, it's a very Cassie insight into someone like she's, she's doing this, even though she she's making this emotional overture, even though she's like, I know he is not totally capable of receiving it. And she sees that happen in the moment and still goes forward with it. Yeah. Yeah. I also just loved that. It was it was a really cute scene. I love their friendship. I friendship them. And I like her theater stuff. Her theater stuff continues to be great. Like, she's Ophelia. She she quotes Shakespeare. She sings from Rent. It's, it's very good. There was one passage where she was, like, watching Senna be really tense at this banquet, and she was like, one part of my mind was going remember this if you ever need to play a character who's like scared and confused and defiant and I was like yes that is how I think as a writer where I'll be in a really Mm. tense emotional situation and then there'll be this part of my mind that's like oh (laughs) remember these physical reactions so that you can write about them later and then the other rest of me will be like that's disturbing but thank you 
I also, another empathetic April moment was at the end when they're talking about what they're going to do about it. She observes, like, I think the Everworld people are real people, right? Like, they're a little Mm -hmm. bit like, we don't have to care about them because they're all, like, myths and legends and whatever. But she's kind of like, no, I'm pretty sure they're all real, which was like, it was bothering me in the first book when they were like, well, as long as we're not the slaves, we can just pretend, like, they're just like cartoon, like, they're not real people suffering or whatever Uh because they're in this fake fantasy world. So... I I would hope that that's a seed of something where they'll be like, okay, well, in order to enact Senna's plan, we have to kill these 10,000 Everworlders, and then they might feel bad about it. Yeah, it's a little, yeah, do we sacrifice the Yerks? Are they people? Right. Do we, yeah. Are these Everworlders people? Yeeple. (laughs) Yerk people. No. No. (laughs) Uh, One thing that uh, April, I believe literally says about her relationship to Senna is we had become two opposing worldviews which <laughs> confirms your theory that Apple Grant can only write diametrically opposed women. Pairs of women. The sexism in this book. Are we ready for it yet? Not sexism quite, but um, <laughs> just a, a thing about April and Senna is April talking more about how Senna came to their house She's like, mm. she basically describes how her parents tried to gaslight her to be like, no, Senna's always been here. Senna's always been mm-hmm. your sister. And I'm wondering, did Senna put a whammy on the parents that? so the parents actually believe that? But Whoa. she hasn't been as effective on April. Or I was thinking the same thing. But surely she was an infant, Yeah, right? well, were they well, no, like she was three four. or four? Yeah. They're oh, four yeah. years old, and then Senna comes to live with them. So that's fascinating. I'd, I'd like to know if that's realist, if that's real, or if that's magical whammy on the parents that's my question let's get into sexism hooray <laughs> this book was so sexist that i do not think it passed the bechdel test and that annoys me wow hmm well i think that april and senna did talk about getting back to the real world I guess they had a brief conversation. I was so optimistic when Magda showed up because you were again. Mm-hmm. It makes it makes her grounded in the mm-hmm. real world. Magda seems like a very cool person. She's yeah. a huge nerd. She likes double entendres. She has mm-hmm. a tattoo. I'm very into Magda. But then their conversation immediately fails the Bechdel test because she's like, "So are you hooking up with Mario later?" <laughs> it's I'm me, so Mario. So also, Magda was like, it was such a 90s thing where April's like, yeah, she has like, maybe it was just an April thing. It's like, she has like a tattoo and like a crop top or whatever. But actually, she's really smart. And I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Oh, I didn't even pick up on the but actually, but that is very 90s. My image of like, you know, the kind of the teen who's like dressing kind of tough and like being like a little bit like countercultural is like definitely the smart kid. Yeah. But that was not, yeah. I think, the stereotype in the 90s. Yeah. yeah. I will also say, listen, I love my tattoos. Some of them are not maybe the coolest things I have on my body. <laughs> um, hers is a barbed wire tattoo around her midriff. That is the dumbest <laughs> shit I've ever heard. <laughs> that is a terrible think- tattoo. That Magda but- today, like, you know, 35-year-old Magda is like, ugh. Shouldn't have gotten this tattoo. Yeah, I mean, almost everyone <laughs> regrets to some extent at least one of their tattoos. That is one that she is going to regret for, like, at least three different reasons. Not least of which is, what the f*** is barbed wire? Like, is that meaningful to you at all? Are you, why? Why barbed wire? 
so it many looks questions. cool. It doesn't. It's tough, Greg. I think it No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. A barbed wire tattoo around your midriff doesn't look cool. I'm here to tell you, it does not look cool. <laughs> Wait, Greg, do you have one? Danger yes. belt. That's why I never wear crop tops. No, I don't have a barbed wire tattoo. <laughs> Darn it. But it doesn't look cool. It looks very dumb. Also, if you ever gain or lose weight or become pregnant, a midriff tattoo oh, is no. all, like, very bad. Oh, no. I'm being, I'm being judgy, <laughs> but I have a butterfly tattoo on the small of my back. So, you know, listen. <laughs> you can judge I, me, oh, too. No. <laughs> I can't wait till we get really old and the lower back tattoos can be called Gramp Stamps. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes! Yes. <laughs> Very excited for that. So, let's... I think, I think maybe it's time. Um, I, I'd like you guys to... Just fill me in if this is ever a way you thought about your clothes. <laughs> clothes that could make you look fat, desperate, or clothes that would be okay with your father's. Those are all the clothes April owns. I was so mad about that line. Yeah. Yeah. I did quote that word is, for word. It's one so, of the few lines yeah. I wrote down. Is is this Apple Grant just like totally failing to be a teen? Like what is going on here? I could see I could yeah. see a teen girl. But that felt realistic to me. I mean, that's Actually, not a healthy, feels... perfect mindset, but that felt like, oh my gosh, I don't have anything to wear. Like, this makes me look trashy, yeah. and this makes me look terrible, and, like, this just makes me look like a goody two-shoes. And so I could see where that, like, thought line came in. I wish we didn't have to teach all of our girls to think this way, yeah. but it felt real to me. I think this is actually like maybe directly from the first episode of Buffy where she's trying to pick an outfit to go out and she like is holding up an outfit. She's like, hi, I'm a total prostitute. And then she's like, hello, would you like a copy of the Watchtower? And she like doesn't have anything in between. Um, I think that this was like a very pervasive, at least media portrayal of girls. It, it does feel a little bit identifiable in the like, every piece of clothing in my closet seems to have something wrong with it. And like for preparing for a big occasion, I don't have anything to wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah it, yeah. it seemed relatable, but the three categories are very reductive. <laughs> yeah. And then she ends up in a not too easy outfit. Like the, there was a lot of like implicit slut shaming in this. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Especially when she's on her date. Yeah. The thing, the thing that I keep like rolling my eyes at, and like I guess, I don't know. This is probably just more of a cliche than I've been thinking about recently. But the whole thing about like, has April had sex or not, and how much sex has she had, is like it seems to be like a relevant character beat that mm-hmm. has come up in every single book, and is something that is like, it's super important to her, but she's not thinking about it directly. Like I feel like. The fact that she's not just like, oh yeah, I have had sex a couple times. Or she's like, I'm still a virgin and I would like to have sex. Or I'm still a virgin and I would not like to have sex. Just come out and say it. I'm sure it's probably <laughs> the thing you're thinking about. Like, it shouldn't yeah, be like a mystery. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it really bothers me every time it comes up. And like the weird jokes about it were all bad. And like, I, I didn't like any of it. It's interesting to me that April has the same three types of clothes in her closet as Christopher has... Uh, types of no sorry as David has types of music on his car radio station <laughs> political religious and classic rock <laughs> oh man yeah the line where she um she's like you know in Mario's car or whatever and he kisses her with tongue and then 
puts his hand in her blouse and she stops him because she's like thinking in her narration. She's like, I guess I'm still a good girl, even though I'm like in this like weird life threatening situation. It felt like such a callback to like being a teenager in a way that I haven't thought about in so long. Ooh. Like sort of the the slut shaming that happens for teens. I mean, sex for teenagers is a very complicated subject, but this idea that like it is directly related to virtue in this way that's like very strongly felt by by April is like something that I haven't thought about in that lens in so long. Like it feels like I've it is it is a thing that we teach our teenage girls, like whether or not there's like a religious framework for it, mm-hmm. like it's just a thing that exists in the culture where like sex makes you like dirty and bad. And uh it was kinda nice to realize like, oh that feels very distant from me now. Um yeah. but also yeah, that's that's definitely a place that April still is mentally. There was a line in here about how uh, speaking of the the knights of the round table, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you need someone to rescue virgins and kill dragons, which covers both of you girls. Only line I thought was slightly funny, but also cute girls fur. Because, like, again, it's that dichotomy. Like, you can be, you're either a pure virgin or you're mm-hmm. a slutty dragon. And, like, there is nothing in between. And, like, one of them gets killed yeah. and one of them gets saved and yeah. neither of them have any agency of their own. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a there's a Madonna horror like complex happening yeah. with these two women. And you even get Galahad giving the April the like you're not like other women thing when she kills the <laughs> troll. That was okay. Galahad has lived for hundreds of years and he's like maidens don't usually do any of their own rescuing and I was like, "Oh, because all the women of this world are the way we have painted women of that time period in our popular culture? What, are they also mythological creatures imported from the past? Sorry, can I go on a brief tangent from sexism to talk about that idea? (laughs) Because I'm super into this idea that Galahad isn't a whole person, because, Mm. like, he doesn't have the powers of a god, but he's kind of, like, he almost feels like a robot coming to, like the edges of his own programming a little bit where he's like i have been this chivalric code has been like literally programmed into me and i i Mm. must not disobey Uh it and i'm like a fantasy i'm like a fantasy that people had a thousand years ago and i'm never going to be a totally real person i really enjoyed him thinking those things about himself yeah yeah yeah. wait was i ever real yeah that thing is super fascinating to me they don't really address your, your point, which is a very good one, that surely well, there must be women in Arthur world, inside every <laughs> world. Like. Okay, but sticking with your point for a minute, so Galahad knows that these gods that were imported into, into Everworld are real, mm-hmm. right? They have real powers. Like, the contention of Everworld isn't, these creatures didn't exist in the real world, but then Everworld was created and that brought them to life. The contention is they existed in our world and then they got brought to Everworld. So they are real. Galahad knows they're real. But he isn't sure that he himself is real. He's like asking if he was a real person. Does he think he's less real than the gods? That like the gods were these real creatures people told stories about. But Galahad was a fake construct they told a story about. Like that's actually kind of a weird leap for him to make. Or that he was like a mortal man and that the stories elevated him above where other men are that like the yeah, gods are like real the but like the legends are different mm-hmm. yeah and this book does call out like they're legends and people who are legends and also people affected by magic were brought into everworld hand and 
I just, one piece of lore that we learn, Loki mentions some kind of like 1,000 year prophecy or something, Mm -hmm. which kind of says like gods existed in our world until the year 1,000, and now in the year 2,000, they have a chance to come back. So it's almost like this godless millennium, which of course, as we discussed in the first episode, doesn't make sense based on the pantheons that have been pulled Mm -hmm, in or whatever. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I can't Um, wait for the legendary... Chicago Bulls to be taken to Everworld. <laughs> See, okay, that would be so good though. Like if Everworld, if Everworld took like, people who achieved legends, yeah, yeah. If it started out with like pa- like God pantheons, and then we're just like, oh, like yeah, the legend of the Chicago Bulls. So like, let's go <laughs> that with the would be whole, amazing. I'd read the hell out of that. Thing. So actually, like Galahad and the Knights and Merlin. Like, I guess they have this whole thing, like, Merlin worships trees, and he's, like, part of the Druidic tradition. But, like, it kind of sucks for Galahad and the knights, who presumably, who are, like, part of the Christian tradition. But if the the unspoken contention of the book is, like, yeah, the Christian god is real, too, but doesn't exist in Everworld because people still believe in this god in our world, then, like, these people are screwed. They got brought to this world without their god. Now they can't fight Loki. Well, or Merlin is... Arthur's God, which is the analogy That's being weird, made here. Yeah. Yes, which, so a couple things. One is, this is the first book, I think, that has a mention of the Christian God in like a belief mm. structure kind of way. So there's like, there's a cross yeah. and stuff, but April, April says, Christian. I believe in the same God I've always believed in. And guess what? That's not you, Senate. And I was like, oh, okay, well, cool. And like, she goes to church, like she's in mass on Sunday when she wakes up. There was a thing where Jaleel, April is thinking about how Jaleel thinks these people with their beliefs in God or gods or whatever are just like dumb or misguided. She's like, I guess that includes me. Yeah. Which is funny, this conflation of like, okay, here you have these like gods that you can see who are doing things, which it's dumb to not believe in them. They obviously exist versus like the Christian God where like belief is an article of faith. They're actually completely different things. Yes, they are. Like Jaleel wouldn't be thinking that like, oh, it's dumb to believe in Loki. Like Loki's right there. Of course you should believe in Loki. Like that doesn't make sense. It also leads to a much larger conversation about the role of faith in various religions and how the mm. idea of faith has changed over time and with with both yeah. time and and resources, but also with just addition, like different kinds of religion to the point where in our sort of modern understanding of Christianity, for example, belief is very important. You, you, your faith in a God that you cannot see is what makes you that religion. That is historically mm-hmm. not a thing. Like, it's not a thing. You didn't have faith yeah. that the Greek gods were going to come and like do anything for you. They just were there. They lived on Olympus, which is that mountain over there, which by the way, you could climb if you wanted to, but why would you? The gods are <laughs> up there. Like they are, they, it, it doesn't, you don't need to believe yeah. in them in the same way. It's more like loyalty than faith. Right. It's like, is this the God you follow, you give your service to, you believe in the other people's gods, you know they're real, yeah. but like you're not serving And them. you wouldn't die for them necessarily. The trolls are out there dying for Loki. And whether it's because they're enslaved to him or they're his kids or some other reason, that is what they're there for. And one of the reasons this book was, I, I liked it, but I didn't think it was good, is that the mythology of the first two books is self-contained and complete. You have the Aztecs, we're going to talk about their gods, whether or not it's accurate, we're not going to talk about that, but like this is, we're in the Aztec world, we're talking about their gods. 
we're in the Viking world, here's the Norse pantheon, and like, it's self-contained, these are who the Viking believes in. And then you get to England, and, and, and they're very explicit about this, right? It's like, why are we here? Why are there knights? Knights aren't gods. Knights, <laughs> right. legends are not the yeah, same thing. Like, yeah. what is happening here? And it's a very good lampshade, but it's also not explained in a way that I found very, very annoying, because maybe Merlin is their god, but he's not, because they're doing something very different. And, like, Galahad is fighting dragons, which, by the way, that's not Galahad! Not a thing! What are you talking about? <laughs> that's St. George! Different guy! Different era! Fuck you! It was, like, the whole thing! Just... It drove me very crazy, and, and part of it, I think, is what Jenny was saying about what does faith mean in these books, and it turns out that the answer to that question so far is... Ugh! <laughs> while you yeah. that was amazing I love listening to all of that I'd like to hear you talk more can you tell us about the physics of the dragon oh. <laughs> yes, yes I can <clears throat> in the first chapter they're being approached by a dragon and she points out that this is a magic world and they can tell that it's a magic world because sometimes gravity doesn't work okay well <laughs> that's not really what happened it's not that gravity turned off. It's that maybe Merlin or maybe Senna or like somebody kind of caught you and gently floated you down to the ground. We see that happening in this book. Gravity didn't turn off. If gravity had turned off, everybody else would also float up. <laughs> oh, they would not float. If gravity turned off, you get shot off into space. What are you talking about? Gravity turned off. This gravity empty. Yeet. <laughs> time out, time out. I'm so sorry. Is Everworld a planet? Is it round? It's a world. Is Everworld round? Is it, a is it flat? What is the what is the it's topology of Everworld? They took the flat Earth and they frisbeed it into <laughs> Everworld, <laughs> and there's a pocket, a pocket of space around it. Listen, I don't know. There's no map in the front of this fantasy book. Usually, Which, that's what I rely on to why determine. Why is there no map? It's another great question. Okay, so gravity turns on and off. Who cares? Fine. If gravity could come and go wax and wane, then things could fly when they could not possibly fly. Like a dragon, maybe. Can't possibly lift something as heavy and dense as a dragon. All that scaly skin, all that muscle, all that dense bone. Not with wings, not with leathery wings, like a pterodactyl. What are you talking about? Two things there. Shifts real fast. And I want to preface this by saying, I know that dragons aren't real. <laughs> I have to know that. How dare you? Don't... You don't know don't that. Me. How do you know? I, I understand. You can't prove that. a negative. This rant has nothing to do with the fact that this is all in a fantasy. Ignore that entirely. Why would you tell me that dragons have dense bones? Dragons don't have dense bones. They have hollow bones. Like birds. Do you know how I know that? Because they can fing fly! What are you talking about? It's like dinosaurs. Dinosaurs could fly because they all like what? Don't come to me with this fake physics, heavy, scaly, dense bone nonsense. Fake biology. That is ridiculous. Not least because you just told me magic exists and your proof for that is dragons can fly. Okay, how about the proof of that is there's a f***ing dragon! What are you talking about? <laughs> I understand that it's, this is totally a ridiculous point, but dragons Wait, have hollow bones. How do they breathe fire? I, there are so many ways the dragon... Listen, 
explanations I have heard include, <laughs> but are not limited to, having some kind of like acid in their stomach and an ignition switch in their throats so that the fire is only outwards, mm. right? Like, love that explanation. Yeah. Makes total sense. The other thing mm-hmm. is that dragons are actually beings made of fire so that like, it's just they have fire in their bellies Ooh. all the time. That's what gives them energy. And they just whoosh, and now a little bit of it comes out and it doesn't hurt them because they're all made of fire. Whatever the explanation is, <laughs> the point is not like, oh, well, we can tell we're in a magic world because physics doesn't work because dragons can fly. What are you talking about? That's not how it works. Great. You know, you're sounding a lot like <laughs> Jaleel here. <laughs> one of my, no, one of my favorite things that Jaleel did in this book was when Merlin and Galahad are, like, exhausted during the battle. Jaleel is like, well, clearly they don't use magic because, what, do they have, like, magic (laughs) calories that are depleted? Clearly there's some kind of physical thing going on that lets them do all of this, like, quote-unquote magic. It's called spell slots. Jaleel, you are absolutely the best. (laughs) Jaleel is the best. I can't wait for Jaleel's book. Me too. I I hope it's better than us. I hope it, yeah. So, great. I'm, I'm so happy to have heard your dragon explanation. It's just, it's wonderful. Fun dragon fact. In the How to Train Your Dragon films, uh, each type of dragon breathes a very different texture of fire. Uh, that's something they went through. So you have some dragons that breathe it and it behaves more like lava where it's like really sloppy and it splashes. And other dragons breathe like a much drier fire that sparks. And like within that show, they explain, oh, yeah. This dragon breathes gas and ignites it with a spark, and this dragon has to eat a specific kind of stone, and like, yeah, so, you know. This one's acid, like, they're different. Yeah. Yeah. Good world building, instead of just, it must be magic, I guess. The other, my other favorite Jaleel part, by the way, is, um, uh, April asks how it's getting dark already, and Jaleel goes on a, a, a rant that I just really identified with. He says, how is it getting dark? How is it the weather and the vegetation say merry old England when we're not two days walk from Aztec country? How is it everyone speaks English, including Vikings and aliens? How is it dead animals get up and start chewing on guys who can grow 10 feet taller anytime they want? You want a list of how comes? I have a list a mile long. I was like, I love you so much. I also have a list of how comes <laughs> that is very long. Yeah, he but, would not have been able to stand Z's face. Exactly. I gotta say, though, my instinct is still, this is just going to be continuous lampshading with no payoff. I don't think we will ever learn oh, why definitely. they all speak English. Oh, yeah. Can I go back to some of the sexist things? Oh, yes. my gosh, yes, yes. of course. I'm oh, sorry yes. we cut you We off. haven't even... Let's <laughs> go stew in the sexism. Yeah, there were so many lines where I was like, April, you have internalized these gender roles and have never questioned them. Like, in some ways, it's like, clearly, uh, she's like a liberated teen. But also, she has these ideas of what men are and what women are that are very separate and distinct and, like, absolute. Are you talking about her, like, war stories bit? Um, in part. So she has this line. First of all, she talks about David's difficult personality, which I <laughs> loved. That's one way to phrase it, April. That was, yeah. is, that was, that was, was actually priceless. when I decided April was my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's great. But then she says, he wears his bruises and scars on the outside, out in plain view, which was great, like, cool insight. Where anyone, at least any girl or woman, can see them. Because you know what every girl and woman has in common? The exact same ability of, like, emotional perception. 
there are no women on the autism spectrum. No. And there are no men every with man empathy can't tell that or kind emotional of thing. intelligence. Nope. No. I mean, <clears throat> to be fair to April, <laughs> judging by David and Christopher, she is correct. <laughs> we'll see if Jaleel has any empathy. Listen, chicks she also, dig she... scars. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Just the women are just looking at the scars. That's it. So she also has this line where she's talking about... Um, which, like, I feel like there's a valid point buried underneath this about how men are socialized, but it's, like, said in this absolute way that it's just never going to be accurate. That the men, like, Jaleel and Christopher and David are, like, going off to fight, and she says, they'd been raised from birth with the understanding that the day might come when they would have to go to war. And for me, for all women, it wasn't that way. Like, what? Like, the universalization of her experience to her entire gender and all cultures in all times is ridiculous. Also, just out of curiosity, remind me, were you or were you not in a Viking longship with a bunch of women, like, a day ago? But they weren't <laughs> allowed to fight or go to war because they were women. They got yeah. slaughtered anyway. Which isn't even accurate to history because, as I said to Ted the other day, we are not getting the myths of various times and cultures. We are getting our myths in cosplay. of what these past cultures were like. Like, yeah. we are getting American late 20th century myths of what the past was like. And it's just... Okay, this is too much thought terrible. into this. No, but no, please. is it possible that Everworld is still shaped by the perceptions of modern humanity? <gasps> Whoa. That like when they came oh, over, like they were all through. that's fascinating. Yeah, like when they when they were sent to Everworld, they were all accurate, authentic, and from their own time. But the stories that we've told and the weird stuff we get in our textbooks uh, has mm. influenced basically the humanity is the battery for Everworld. It. Okay, but specifically the United States. Yeah, or even. Um, it's like those particles in physics where just by perceiving them, you change their path. The Heidelberg oh. Uncertainty Principle, right? That one. So Heidelberg Uncertainty <laughs> Principle. It's possible that these four racist, sexist, homophobic U.S. teens by coming to Everworld have physically changed the nature of Everworld. What if they created Everworld? What if Senna created Everworld? Oh my god. What if it's her dream, and that's why she's the key, but she didn't dream herself enough power, and now her dream has more power than she does, and that's why she's so afraid of it. Something... I oh, like all of these theories. <laughs> something world-building I found very interesting was the excellent reading comprehension demonstrated by the horses in Everworld, because they also hate Senna. Horses hate Senna! Oh yeah! It's not explained, right? I... I'm it's sure we'll get an explanation later, but I absolutely love She's it. She's just magic and horses, and horses are pure. Witches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, just, <laughs> it made me... <laughs> they were actually like, unicorns and, you know... It's <laughs> just like the, you know, her profile online or something... She's she's so she's so sexy. You won't believe it. Horses hate her. Horses hate her. <laughs> she's like the opposite of a horse girl. <laughs> So, yeah, the two diametrically the, opposed type of, types of women are horse girl and not horse the girl. Anti-horse Again, the anti-horse girl. Sounds right. So I thought the men are socialized for war and women aren't thing. One, it feels very generational to Apple Grant's time, much more so than, like, mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. our age or the Everworld's kids' age of terms of, like, We're there is a draft. And, like, yeah, like, and, like, a little older. the Vietnam was, like, the cultural thing of, like, what are we doing putting, you know drafting kids to go off to war and now we have volunteer Mm, service mm -hmm. right so it's still toxic in all these different ways but this like 
really, really deep idea feels dated in a mm-hmm. way. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why April in particular would care about it. It might be Applegrad's blindness, yeah. Right, but the the whole myth of, like, men get a special pass because, and like, they don't have to be... They don't have to be as cultured or, like, follow the rules as much because at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to put their lives on the line to, like, save mm-hmm. us. Like, mm-hmm. that whole... That whole... Attitude. Belief. That, like... Myth. Yeah, that, like, toxic myth. I feel like it is so core to the vision of the mythology presented in all three of these books. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, mm-hmm. the Viking warriors, the Aztec warriors, and now the, like... British you know, Knights. British chivalric code or whatever. And, like, it seems so deeply embedded that it's, it's just going to keep going like this. But it's uh-huh. such a weird... It, I don't know. It's such yeah. a narrow view of the way the world works. But I, I obviously, based on, like, how society is, it's a very powerful story that is told over and over again. And at the end of the um, book, when April shows, like, strength, determination, and traditionally praised male values, they're like, huh, you must have some of Galahad's blood in you. Because how else? I almost <laughs> threw my book across <laughs> the room. Yeah. <laughs> Double blood oh, transfusion. <laughs> I guess it went both ways, because now you are a brave and strong woman, so you must have gotten some Galahad in you, <laughs> because obviously you couldn't have done it on your own. I, I hate Two you. Two-track blood you know, drifting. What else I was really mad about at the end of this book? So, you know how in the second book, the guys were all arguing, and April's like, here's the deal. We are going to decide things democratically, and if we can't decide, I will decide. If it's a tie, I'll be the deciding vote. That completely fell off the radar in this book she's like yeah david he kind of sucks but he's the closest thing to a leader we have and i was like what why because he's like this white kid who thinks he's a hero you were the closest thing to a leader we have but apparently that doesn't exist anymore i did really i did really hate that she didn't want to be a leader she was like we clearly need one but she never even thinks like i would do it except david wouldn't listen to me which if you just if you just said that then we would understand yeah It's like, David is very much like sort of a dark version of Jake. Like, he is is not a good leader. He has this whole heroism thing that, like, Jake didn't really have. But he's like the white Jewish boy, which apparently means he's the general for Apple Grant. Like, that's, that's their yeah. type. I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of the things that Apple Grant comes back to, right? It's like, what are the qualities of a leader? What do you need? What are you looking for when you're looking for leadership in a group? Especially because they're writing these different kinds of, of teams. Um, and the, the bit about, it's it's just the thing that Jenny was saying, right? Um, we were trapped and divided. We'd lost David, not a perfect leader, but the closest thing we had to Leo and Christopher wouldn't follow me or each other. So, I mean, part of it is the understanding that like, she doesn't think Jaleel and Christopher will follow her, which I'm not sure we have any proof for that other than her statements like I think they have got along with her when she has put her foot down but all right that's what she thinks but like they don't want to follow David either it's not as no. though we have seen him they do. show Christopher. any leadership yeah exactly exactly Christopher hates David's guts does right, not like yeah. him so I don't really understand that except for as internalized misogyny like I, I can't read it any other way it felt like the text making an excuse for why David has to be the leader. Because I think Jaleel probably would follow April. Yeah. Like, he probably would want to have a lot of say. But I think he would rather kind of stand back and observe and not be the leader himself. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
Christopher probably would be willing to because he doesn't seem to be willing to lead people himself. He would probably follow April. Yeah. David's not really going to follow anyone, but also no one's going to follow David, so it doesn't really matter. Right. I wish the four of them weren't together. I wish they had split up and each of them was inside of a different camp or mythology and that like mm. they could converse in the real world but in Everworld they were completely separated from each mm. other so they still would have like communication but it would just be more and it would be like a clearer goal of we need to get everybody back together or I can't they need me to lead the second battalion <laughs> I don't know just they could each have a different goal which would be really interesting because there are so many different sides of this conflict yeah. They could each have sided with, yeah. like, I still don't think they're going to split up, but, like, now I'm more with you on, like, it would be cool if they did. Yeah, we're still having the same issue that was pointed out in the last book, where we're not making informed choices of where we're going and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're wandering from place to place, and the plot keeps attacking us. Yes. And <laughs> the plot yeah. keeps yeah. attacking us. Exactly it was right. really weak. The, the The thing that happened in this book that was so annoying is that, when Merlin and Loki are fighting in the castle, they're like, this is our chance to escape. And so they escape, they get separated. April has this whole cool thing where she like uses a watch crystal to start a fire yeah. in the cornfield. Two more backpack items get used this time. Yeah. And then <laughs> they all end up with Merlin and Galahad being attacked by Loki anyway. So like that whole thing, basically nothing really changed in terms of the plot structure, except they're no longer in Galahad's castle. They're in a camp. It's like very, very... Poorly done. You mean it's like how April gave two whole quarts of her blood to Galahad and then he died anyway? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I actually, wait, wait, wait. I really, really liked the final set piece in this book as a, <laughs> as a piece of storytelling. I actually thought it was super effective. It is frustrating that Galahad dies, but like there were a lot of, there were a lot of good elements. So like the blood transfusion scene was a delight. I like the blood was, transfusion scene. Yeah. It was good from start to finish. It obviously did not make sense. <laughs> she gave way too much blood. They are yeah. both dead. This did not happen. But just like the tension, all this, the, like the scrappiness that they bring to the problem right. solving. Galahad being like, I guess I'm a woman now. And Jaleel being like, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, that's not how it works. And Merlin's like, how does it work? Teach me medicine. Uh, like, I did love Merlin being like, why do we wash our hands? <laughs> it's like, here, have any advertisement from 2020? Yeah, but that whole thing, <laughs> so like basically Galahad falls, they're like, okay, man, we're going to die. And April has that whole, I really liked her internal monologue where she's afraid and she's frozen and she's like, oh, I must have looked brave, but I wasn't. And then like Franken Galahad shows up and scares everyone because of course... <laughs> Undead zombie Galahad is going to be impressive or whatever. He was right? alive. And then I also love the, like, they're waiting for uh, Deus Ex Machina from the dragon. But even though it doesn't make sense mythologically, the fact that Galahad and dragons had bad blood between them, man, I totally bought it when the dragon shows up and is like, nah, I'm going to eat Galahad. All right. <laughs> right? Like, I just, I, I appreciated that whole thing as a set piece. Of course, it then, like, leaves them again with, like, nowhere to go and no connection to anything and they're just wandering around which is so disappointing but for a little bit the second half of this book was carrying me along Mm. i wouldn't have minded as much if we had met galahad again a few books later and he died there yeah i agree it's like they're forcing it to contain it to just this book yeah i wish the series were less episodic and more overarching and i think that's another comparison to the animors that i 
you know, where where ever world does not come off as well, because when we meet mm -hmm. other you know, species in in animorphs, we learn so much about them and we love them so much. So I'm thinking, like, if if we consider the Arthurian parallel to be, for example, the um, Horkbajir, and it's like you know, we've we found ourselves amongst this other group of peoples, they have their own story and their own history and their own reason to be involved in this fight. Now, hey, sometimes we're going to like meet them again or like different ones from this, you know, d different members of the round table or, you know, diff they'll have different stories in their own storyline. But when they interact, we're always so happy to see them, right? I mean, every time, yeah. every time we saw like Jeremy, Jer yeah, Jeremy, yeah. we were like, yeah, Jeremy's back, right? Like it was very exciting. <laughs> and I think that's, again, like, if that had come through here, and like you said, like, Galahad returned three books later, and we were like, yay, Galahad, we remember him, he was great, he saved April for some reason, um, that would be awesome, but instead, break to a crisp. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of burning their, burning their bridges a little bit. They're burning their knights as they go. <laughs> burning their knights, yeah, <laughs> as they stand on them. And yeah, it's so, I think it's also connected to the point, the, like, Anglocentrism point as well, because... <laughs> We've had three examples of the, you know, myth cultures so far. The Aztecs were completely anonymous, except for the god. Mm -hmm. Literally could not name a single individual Aztec, nor were they we like... Yeah, so nor, nor were they like... anonymous cannibals, every single mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. So, like, in the Vikings, at least you had, like... You had, some a, you had like, three or four yeah. with personalities mm -hmm. and names and stuff, right? But then... In this book, of course, not only do you get many, many, many named characters, they all have, like, associations baked in because we're coming from an Anglo-centric culture where we know all of the Arthurian legends and stuff. And they also get, like, Galahad gets, like, a real story. Like, they save him, and then he saves them, and, like, back and forth, and then he dies with this dragon. Like, right. it really is. I think it's going to be, like, the closest, the closer a culture is to mm -hmm. British, like, European is good, but British is best. Like we have all in like this, these books definitely have internalized like the British imperialist myth that like the British culture is like the most civilized and the most worthy and the most human and other cultures should adopt them as much as possible. That imperialist mindset, that's literally why the kids are like, well, we just have to change Everworld. <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good take. We just have to fix it. Because they're doing civilization wrong. <laughs> no, right. So I don't, I don't actually want to defend Apple Grant on this point, but I want to observe that it seems like they are writing what they know. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think my guess is that they're just, they're able to go deeper because they're writing one of these books a month. Mm -hmm. They have a loose idea of the plot. And right, like they would need to probably spend five times as much time researching the Aztecs as the other thing, right? So aren't yeah. they, it's like, it's There's not. There's no excuse for it, though. It's lazy, right? But yeah. it, that's probably the reason, right? Like, but they could have had, like, a, a like an Aztec person on their side. They could have done it badly and, like, still have made them human. Like, they had many options other than just, like, nameless cannibals. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, there are options for one, writing these better. Having a named Aztec character who, like, joins in their crusade would have been an easy way to fix that. Also, there are, in fact, Celtic mythologies that you could draw from. 
drawing from Arthurian legends instead of actual mythologies like the rest of your cultures is just lazy. Okay, so it does seem like what we got in this book is a list of the different cultures. I don't know if it was complete. I'm assuming it's probably mostly complete. This list was Viking, Greek, Mayan, Aztec, Egyptian, Celt, Britain, and African. You know, that culture, the African culture. Celts, they distinguish between Celts and Britons and then Africans. Are you f***ing kidding me? Yep. I'm from a Celtic background and I'm offended by that. Like, listen, <laughs> are you kidding me with that f***ing <laughs> I'm sure everyone likes each other in Africa because they're the one culture of Africa. Except for Egypt, which is its own culture. But everything else. Racist AF. Very ridiculous. Yeah. I think this might be the next step because this is near the beginning where April's like listing everything she knows about Everworld. But remember when David and Christopher both listed what they knew about Everworld and every single kid has a completely different idea of what's going on. <laughs> like David had a lot of knowledge of stuff that hadn't been talked about in the book. And then it feels like April doesn't know really anything. So I just want to read what April knows about Everworld. We don't exactly know what Everworld is. We know it is a universe constructed by the fugitive gods of ancient Earth. We know that recently, alien immortals have found their way in. Interlopers in a private chat room. <laughs> we know that one of these alien gods is Ka'anor, god of the Hetwan. We know Ka'anor scares the heck out of the established gods, scares them like nothing ever has before. She doesn't mention that he eats other gods, which David knew and David told us. I think right. Christopher knew, but we we don't know how Christopher knew because Listen, we didn't learn it I in the keep first book. I mixing up David and Christopher because I don't care to differentiate okay. them. <laughs> no, I can tell you what the difference is. David has a difficult personality and Christopher is narrow-minded. Okay. How nice to have a distinction. So... <laughs> David is oh, difficult. Oh, David is extremely broad-minded with his metaphors about <laughs> ra how racism is the same as prejudice against witches. An, an easygoing, oh my god, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, David's like, oh, okay, no. so you yeah, don't like plays... Senna because she's a witch. It's like how some people don't like you because you're black, Jaleel. Don't you understand it's how these like are the that. same? To be fair, the book does, like, the other characters do shut it down pretty fast, but like... What? Whoever David, I forget I forget what? who had the theory that the the main thing in these books is pointless conflict between the four <laughs> teens who like don't get along yeah, that well. But yeah. that's obviously true. Like yeah. they're just gonna keep saying stupid things to provoke each okay. other. Over I've, I've got it now. David is difficult, Christopher's crappy, and that's like how I <laughs> keep him separate. Yes, mnemonics device. Ugh. I can't believe they said that. It was so ridiculous and offensive, and I'm real mad about it. I, like, I'm pretty sure it was supposed, like, I don't think the book was taking it seriously, but, like, wow. I'm upset we didn't learn more about Senna. Mm. Yeah, we got teased so hard. April's like, I've been afraid of her ever since. And then she, like, cuts herself off. What did Senna do? I don't want to just get it as an expo dump, like, at the end of the book. I would like pieces of a puzzle, please. You don't have to give me the entire solution, but, you know... I would like to uh, learn and grow along with these characters instead of just <laughs> stumble around until we have a signpost that says History of Senna. I guess it has to be, it has to be uh, alliterated. So, History of Her. <laughs> and then it just talks <laughs> Story about Story of Senna. And they're like, who is her? And April's like, well, it's not me. The only other woman we know is Senna. <laughs> 
<laughs> Actually, yeah, have we had... Well, we had um, the Viking woman who her her husband, like, mm-hmm. was their guide and then they stayed with her or something. She's dead now because she wasn't as pretty as April who got saved. Did, did she go along with them? Probably. The boat? Oh, no. Yeah, Poor so lady. April got saved because right, she so had exotic, exotic she got, hair and yeah. eyes, but all of the Viking women on the boat were killed because they just didn't know how to fight. This book suck. So one thing that I did like that we learned about Senna is that she's super in over her head. Yeah, that was um, fun. Because there's, I really like that she's like, I have my own thing. I like, she's a, she's a rogue agent or whatever, but she is arrogant or naive enough to believe that she can whammy Merlin. Yeah, And then, like, great. pouts about it when she can't. Which is, like, that's, like, a certain flavor of villainy that I wasn't mm-hmm. quite expecting from her. Because, like, mm-hmm. it, compared to our other protagonists, she's like, I know everything and I'm going to speak cryptically. But, like... Yeah, she got taken down a few times. She's pegs. way in over her head. Yeah. Even though... Her, and then her, like, terrifying door power where she puts April into a lemist vision and then just like pulls her through so that she's connected with her real real world self again. Mm-hmm. It's like very powerful and, and she's all smug about like, Haha, you guys need me, don't you? Can we actually like read a little bit of that section? Because there were two places where I was like, once again, Apple Grant really likes writing things that Gray hates. There were I think two or three of them on this, Do it. this one. Um, you know, I can't hold it against them. I also enjoy writing things that great. But yours are small bits in things that I dearly, dearly love, <laughs> as opposed to Al Grant, which is like, I am meh at best on these books, and then you're going to throw this in? Really? That's what you want to do with this? That's fine. Um, Messed. Yeah, it's a... Messed. So... Senna is trying to demonstrate that she is, you know, important and magical and whatever. And like, in her defense, she is. So how she proves that is by, (laughs) basically, she goes slightly translucent to demonstrate that she feels the edge between the worlds. I could see her ribs outlined, backlit, a living x-ray, ghostly, insubstantial. And then... April feels herself floating towards this curtain between the worlds. Her head goes through the gap into the light. She sees herself in the bathroom. My reflection, a head and two hands reaching out of nothingness. She hurls herself backwards and the trolls are coming and Jaleel says, you disappeared into her body. The upper part of your body just kind of merged into her. Your body, your legs, and butt, and all were just sticking out of her. <laughs> and that's how they can tell that she's the doorway between worlds. What? Why? Mm-hmm. What? Gross. Although, if if they're going to be merged, like, shouldn't she have appeared sort of in her own body? I guess it was just a demonstration, but... It, yeah, that doesn't quite track, but I do love this. I love that mm-hmm. she is literally a gateway. It's so cool. It's and so weird. they like, did it in a room with a mirror so she could see her head and arms coming out. That's awesome. Real, real gross. There's also, you mentioned this in the summary, but um, I really liked all of Merlin's magic, right? Mm. He, he builds their castle. He turns a table back into a tree. But then the, the, the absolute winner is he turns the buffet of food live. All of the, like, woodland that creatures cool. come back to life and fight Loki. All the dead creatures, oh, cool. pigs, really birds, awesome. sheep, and goats, all sprang to hideous life. 
crisp skin crackling, blackened bones rasping, empty eye sockets gaping, up they came, up from the platters, clattered over their own discarded bones, and rushed at the Norse god. If I wasn't a vegetarian before, I would be after this stupid book. Gross. <laughs> so as previously mentioned, I read this book on the morning of Thanksgiving. <laughs> How was that turkey? Uh, so my dad's turkey is always delicious. When we lived in Louisiana, he learned how to Cajun deep fry it, and it's perfection, oh. just always. But I was like, through through dinner, I was imagining the turkey getting up and just like attacking us. That was funny. Ew. So I appreciate it. Ew, 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 ew. Amazing. So I have a few little random things. I don't Hit know me. if we're ready for that. April is so concussed. Oh my gosh. She is... I'm so worried. Also, I I feel vindicated and like, yeah, Apple Grant doesn't understand concussions because April's like, oh, concussion, is that a thing that goes away? Or do I need to worry about a blood clot in my brain? Oh, well, I guess stroke is the least of my worries. And I'm like, I don't think concussions cause strokes. Like, concussions cause lots of things, but I don't, I don't think that's what they do. Um, also, also, then she gets hit in the head again that, like, next day. And... That is yeah. the worst thing to do for a concussion. Like, that's the thing. Like, when you have a concussion, they're like, well, we can't really do anything. Just make sure you don't get hit in the head again for, like, a few weeks or whatever. And she doesn't seem to suffer any... I mean, I guess they're... like, And then she gives a ton of blood. So, like, she should be having, like, major, like, cognitive and, like, physical difficulties. Can't have a stroke if you don't have any blood to clot. <laughs> That, okay. thank All goodness, right. she saved herself. Yeah, I can't wait for, I hope there's a scene in the future where they have to tamponade someone because the concussions have just caused brain swelling. I really <laughs> hope that they do not do any trepanning because that is not something I want Apple Grant to describe to me. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they would get very graphic. Did they call her Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? Yes, they did. They also yeah, had an extended ER riff about Noah Wiley showing up. <laughs> Yeah. I'm sad that they predated Grey's Anatomy because that's where that's where my thoughts went reading this scene. <laughs> so while Galahad did get a lot of chivalric plot armor type stuff where he's mm-hmm. just like so fighty and good and strong fighty. and pure of heart or whatever, uh, but that did not that plot armor did not get extended to David. My favorite part in the battle at the end is Galahad is like David. Make sure you strike true. And he gets immediately kicked to the side. It's like so satisfying. <laughs> I was very I was very intrigued by by April's friendships. I really liked the part where she's like feeling a little bit like everything in the real world is fake. That felt very animorphs to me. Like the thing, especially like Cassie in book nineteen, where she's like, Yeah, I'm like starting to get hooked on the adrenaline from battle and I hate it and like, you know, it's kind of distorting her perceptions of the real world. I also, I was really intrigued by her saying, so she thinks she can't tell her friends because they would like maybe pretend to believe her, but like then stop calling her. And she has this line, insanity is the limit of friendship. We've talked a lot about how Apple Grant is not always great at dealing with mental health issues. And I, I don't think this statement is correct. I do think it's kind of a cool metaphor for people who are dealing with actual mental health issues feeling like they can't tell their friends and family mm. because they think that mm. like 
oh, well, I'm insane and that's the limit of friendship. I think that that's maybe something interesting to explore. This does not explore it. All it does is kind of present this. Maybe it will be explored more later in the series. Yeah, to, I mean, I feel like the more serious take on that is like a fear of institutionalization, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just like, I mean... You have a difficult partner who you lock up in a sanitarium because it's inconvenient because Mm, that they don't mm -hmm. like whatever you're doing, right? Like, I think that's the, that's a valid fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of depth there. I don't know. I don't know how much we'll get of it. Well, what did you think about Jaleel saying that we live in a superstitious age and that's why we can't let Loki come through because... Was he living in 2016? Well, I, Go on. <laughs> it, I no, I mean, I think that I think that Apple Grand are very cynical about the uh, Americans at large, mm, and I think mm-hmm. being very cynical has proven to be a historically uh, accurate take. So, yeah, that passage is really interesting because, again, like Jaleel's not wrong about that, but it's basically, I mean, the idea is sort of a description of like modern cults almost um but so he says there are a lot of superstitious vulnerable minds back there in the world people believe anything y2k has brought them out of the woodwork amazing (laughs) no one's gonna drop it because we're off by a year or so if these characters a bunch of gods a bunch of immortals start unloading in the chicago suburbs how long before they have a million followers each all yelling about the end of the world and ready to make it happen we live in a superstitious... My thought was just, but they don't even have Twitter yet. I mean, can you imagine? Like, we, people's <laughs> heads are full of mush. And, like, I think that's... It's, it is very cynical, but it's not inaccurate. And the idea of, like, mm. you know, Loki showing up and, and starting 4chan is, like, <laughs> not outside the realm of possibility In a, if you had a slightly right. more technologically advanced guy. You know, depending who else shows up, you might start 4chan. <laughs> Thank you, Jenny. You're welcome, Greg. <laughs> I do want to note before we move on to 90s stuff, there is, I'm, I'm concerned. It didn't seem like there was a lot between April and David in this book, which is good because I do not ship it. But I was a little concerned about the scene where David is shirtless and it was like, don't look at his chest. Don't look at his chest. That's what a guy would do, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but I'm like, please, please just don't go there. Please. I do not want it. Please, please. I, I anti-want it. I ask for so little. We're anti- Did you ship April and Galahad at all? No! Because I actually really liked the passage where Galahad comes to rescue her, and she's like, I could be into this. And then she's like, no, actually, it sucks. Oh, getting yeah, rescued no, that on, was hilarious. Getting rescued on horseback sucks. It's really smelly. We immediately ran out of things to talk about. I don't know what to say. And then her description of like, how do you tell this like beautiful and noble man who just saved you that I have to pee? Um, and then she's her. She comes up with uh, the phrase, which is, Prithee, my lord, but I must fain squat in yon bushes, else I will dampen thy attractive knee. <laughs> Well, yeah, again, April is the funny April's one. Funny. But, yes, I but I really liked this, like, overall send-up of, like, her kind of, like, wanting to be into it and being mm-hmm. like, it turns out the fantasy actually sucks. Yeah. Like, that, I feel like everyone wants to hit this beat a lot, and it uh-huh. doesn't often succeed, yeah. but I, I, I did really like this instance I did, of it. I hated that, like, April's book was mostly about boys. Yeah. But, you know, I, I don't ship her and Galahad. I do ship her and Jaleel. 
the funny one and the smart one. We said before, he's a great pairing, and she is the funny one. Yeah, Christopher and David can have each other. She does mention at the beginning of the book that, all right, shipper goggles on. Jaleel is the only one that cares about her. Yeah, and then she takes his hand, which he's very uncomfortable with, but it's very cute. I mean, she takes his hand because it's like he's about to go off to battle and she's like weak from blood loss. And it's like very much like it's it's not specifically a romantic. I'm thing, real sorry. But. And this is straying into prediction territory. But here's what's going to happen. David's like going to change the longer he's away from Senna. And April will be like, wow, there's just parts of him I didn't see before. I thought he wore all his hurt on the outside. But there's so much more to him than I could have ever thought. I hope not. Not here for Just it. Just everybody get excited for the rants that I will perform when that happens. Oh, okay. I'm here for that. Song and rants. <laughs> <laughs> and then before we get into stuff and things, you know, like Chicago reference and 90s stuff, uh, what did you guys think about the meter slash lack thereof that Merlin used when he did his spells? Why are his spells so bad? Like, <laughs> it is not that hard. We have them written down. They rhyme. They scan. What the? Yeah. So these don't rhyme. They're uh, formatted Maybe in the book to look like them. So, so here's one. Ancient stones, broken bones, mend and grow ancient stones. Okay, that part so far I'm fine with. Wizard's Tower, Upward Flower, Ancient Stones, Hear Again Your Master's Voice. And it's like, <laughs> buddy, the it's rhyme scheme. You rhymed stones with stones three times. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a hard word to rhyme. <laughs> Death to life, life to slaughter. Arise, arise, beasts of the forest. Arise, beasts of the field. Arise, beasts of the air. Forget your natures and become the wolf. To kill a wolf. What are you doing? Why? That sucks. This one works, but only with like an accent a bit. And then it's only like an assonance rather than like a... a, Okay, here we go. Trees cut down. Tree grown old. Grow again at Merlin's word. (laughs) (laughs) Old. Yeah. No. No, I I didn't like it. They weren't magical. They were pretty bad. To be honest, it didn't rate in my notes, but now that you've pointed it out, it really bothers me. Yeah. It annoyed me so much. I, I started keeping track of them, and then I was too annoyed, and I had to stop. I mean, they're not consistent lengths. They're not consistent meters. And I'm like, do you need more words for a stronger spell? Do you need fewer words for a spell that you know? I just I just like no some structure to my magic system. <laughs> yeah, he has to rhyme all these words. And I'm like... I wonder if Abelgrat were thinking, oh, if he he's saying them in old English and it's just being translated <laughs> to modern English and they obliquely rhyme in their original but no. Anyway, no. I wasn't I wasn't a fan. Sorry, Merlin. So are we ready for nineties? I think so. Let's do it. I, I have to repeat this one even though we already said it because it was so good. She describes the alien gods invading Everworld as interlopers in a private chat room. Amazing. A plus. So 90s. It was perfect. Oh, yes. There was Y2K, as aforementioned. Yeah. We had Mario described as Antonio Banderas as a senior. (laughs) Yep. Amazing. A hot guy reference. That same uh, bit had a bit about Brad Pitt 
it being the epitome of male beauty, and later on, that's Leo DiCaprio. And Galahad is so beautiful, he makes Leo DiCaprio look like Dustin Hoffman, which, burn. Burn. <laughs> uh, yeah, we had a lot, I mean, April really thinks a lot about, like, movies and actors and stuff. She thinks of herself as Julia Roberts in My Best Friend's Wedding. Great reference. She's going to be so bummed. This is maybe, like, when she is almost falling for David, but the thing that saves her is she finds out that David thinks of Senna as Julia Roberts. <gasps> oh, no! Yes. Call back to the first This book. is what's going to keep them apart. Thank goodness. She also references Susan Sarandon and Nicole Kidman in Eyes Wide Shut. And later on, she thinks of herself as Fei Ray in King Kong, or, but actually she's more like Sigourney Weaver, which is better. But then a page later, she's like, no, it actually is more like King Kong. And I was like, no, go back to Sigourney Weaver. Wait, so why does Faye Ray come up in all of these books? They're so You will have Faye to Ray. ask Apple Grant. Wait, wait, wait. You know what I want to ask Apple Grant? I want to ask if they know any synonyms for getting drunk other than faced. Faced. There are so many. This is one of the words with the most synonyms, none of which are even like swears. No. There are so many synonyms other than faced, which I don't even think is a real one. It's not. It needs in front of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it needs, uh, what did, what did David's father say? Chicken product. Oh, product. We got yes. chicken product faced yeah. last night. We got night. product faced. <laughs> chicken product faced. But just like say they got hammered, say they got wasted, they got smashed. They're like infinite synonyms. Oh man. <laughs> there's also Ooh. an austin powers reference my favorite one was when april is looking for a reference to be like yeah he was talking about these guys like they're so recognizable like they're the cast of buffy i was delighted i did like that one um my favorite what era are you actually talking about please <laughs> reference was uh a Samantha and Darren reference. Senna and David oh, yeah. playing Samantha and Darren. That's from Bewitched. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, I watched that when I was like around like probably the mid 90s. We had like, was it like UPN or something? Had all of those shows on it? It was on mm. Nick at Night. Oh, well then, yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, I feel like it's not completely implausible. Like I would have known that reference at that age. Yeah, but again, like Faye Ray, it's like, I'm yeah. not really sure you're really hip with the in-kids. Accurate. Yeah, they, they referenced a lot of old movies. They had La Dolce Vita. They had Marx Brothers. Laurence Olivier. It was like, yeah, we're into old movies, like, conveniently, because that's what the authors know about. Wait, Gray, sorry, I cut off your um, Austin Powers thing. Did you <clears throat> want to read the, like imagined quote from Galahad as Austin Powers? Oh god. Sure. I had this flash of Galahad as Austin Powers. Welcome to Everworld, baby. It's Shagadelic. Very I nice. can't do a good Austin Powers question, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh. Shagadelic, baby. Something like that, I don't know. And of course, Rent. I mean, we gotta just mention Rent again. Lots That's of Rent. Um, one of the boys yeah. does mention that he hopes, if legends come, that he'll get to meet the Chicago Bulls. So that is mentioned in the book. Yeah. Yes, and there's another Michael Jordan reference, which I have both in my 90s references and in my Chicago section. Did you have other Chicago references? I didn't really pick up on any other ones in this There one. were two more. One is when they go on the date, they go downtown for the movie, and then they drive along Lakeshore Drive back mm -hmm. home. 
and there's the Michael Jordan reference. And then at the end, and I was delighted by this, when they're talking about the gods coming back across to our world, Jaleel imagines them um, stomping through Old Orchard Mall, which I was so delighted by because it means I was exactly right about where they live in Chicago, which is right where I grew up. Old Orchard Mall, Mall was like a mile away from where I grew up, and I was so excited about that. Would you maybe have been in Old Orchard Mall when the gods came through? If they I would have. I might have been. It was a popular yeah. hangout place in 1996. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, this is like 2000. Now. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, maybe. But like, yeah, I definitely could have gotten stomped any Saturday afternoon. <laughs> so speaking of whether or not the gods will come through, do we want to do some predictions for Realm of the Reaper, book four? <sighs> I want to find out that Jaleel is magically connected to Everworld outside of Senna. Me this, too. I, I want really that. Like that yeah. This picture seems to be April, which is weird because we just had the April book and this is a Jaleel book, I assume. Unless it's Morgan Le Fay. Oh, maybe. We have, um, we have this inside picture. What the heck? Okay, it's a big snake. Are we going yeah, back to snake. Loki's castle with Mjolnir to fight the Gunderworm? The, yeah, the what is it called? The Jormungandrworm. Jormungandrworm. Thank you. Yeah, I mean that that seems to be what we're looking at. We here. don't think we don't think the realm of the Reaper is going to be another mythology. I was definitely thinking just from the title that it would be like Hades, and I'd have to go on an extended rant about how mm. Hades is not synonymous with he's death the Lord of the Underworld, not the Lord of the Grim Reaper, but yeah. whatever. But that was the only <gasps> thing I could think of. There's an iron-on transfer in the middle of this book. What does it look like? It's bad. It's the cover of this book. Why would you want that? Why would I I want that? Why would you want that? It's an iron-on transfer. I want it. Me. I wonder if my book has one. You probably have one. Oh my gosh, that's so. That is the worst merchandising I've ever seen. So okay, so it could be. Sure, I like the Greek. We know Greeks exist. We, do. we know Greeks exist. Mm-hmm. I feel like it could be Greek underworld. It could be Egyptian underworld. Mm. I also think maybe they've just given up on doing legit pantheons, and it will just be like the Grim Reaper, Satan. Oh, like or, or like Dante's Hell, or like it'll be some it'll be something that is like not really the same on the same level as the are other we, ones. Are we going to visit um, Atlantis? Do you think? No. Oh. We trade with Atlantis. It was mentioned that the Vikings trade with Atlantis in the Ku Hatch. I think we will, but not in this book. Okay. I think that they're um I think I think they're going to go Greek. Okay. It's my that's my my stake in the ground. Also, the snake on the inside cover doesn't tell us anything because we've had evil snakes in every mythology so, so sure, far. Because snakes are just bad. Oh. There are lots of evil snakes. Have we had evil snakes in the Knights of the Round Table the dragon. pantheon? The dragon. The dragon. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe um, that will, like, I don't know. Maybe I mean, that might just be how mythologies work, and also they're pulling on, like, the violent parts of mythologies, but maybe there'll be uh, something um, there. So I think... One thing that uh, a commenter left for us in the first episode is that David has more backstory to be revealed later that is connected to his hyper-masculinity. So Mm. I think based on his, like, his whole, like, I need to save people thing, like, maybe he was also abused at camp or, like, there's going to be some kind of, like, maybe abused by his father who left and that will be part of his, like, dark backstory that gets brought up again. Mm. All right. Do you think Jaleel's book will give us any answers? No. No. 
<laughs> All right, so we've just finished we've just finished 25% of the whole series and they finally oh, wow. set up our plot. So we're a quarter of the <laughs> we're a quarter of the way through. We know what we're going to do. How do you think the kids are going to change Everworld? Are they going to try and take out all of the dangerous pantheons? Are they going to try to convert people to a huh. different pantheon? Oh, no. I feel like if they kill all the gods, I mean, that's not... Like, then it's Ooh. not really Everworld anymore. So, so aren't they just doing Merlin's plan? Get all the gods together to fight Ka'anor? Maybe. Hmm. Uh, I guess... Let's see, I'm on, let me revisit what April says. It's so frustrating how little there is to, like, hang our hat on in terms of theorizing. It seems like probably they're just going to randomly go to a new mythology every week until mm-hmm. they stumble across the, like, MacGuffin that saves the world. It does seem like April's plan is, like, maybe Merlin's right. The good people can get together, get the bad guys to at least go along, stop Connor, which means creeps like Loki aren't looking to escape. And then Jaleel's like, so all we have to do is solve all the problems of Everworld, take out Connor, yeah, and then we come so home, no problem? I, yeah, would, so, okay. I would be pleasantly surprised if book four is Jaleel being like, okay, I buy it, I don't like it, but I'm going to have to take the problem of Connor seriously. And he starts asking some tough questions about, like, who, what, where, when, why, and how, like, does Connor have any weaknesses? Like, what can we do? Yeah. So maybe it will be a fairly investigation-driven book, because that seems like something Julia would be good at, and it would be an interesting way to give them some more concrete goals besides change okay. the world. And if each book does uh, cycle between these four main characters, Jaleel's book will be the end of our first cycle, so hopefully it'll, like, jump the plot forward significantly. Ugh, God, that would be is. great, but I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to happen. Do you think they'll meet Ka'anor in this book? I think it's too soon. But I do think maybe we'll see a Hetwan again. I could, I could buy that. I also, okay. I think Thor is going to come back. I think he's the one fighting the snake. So mythology picture, time. Right? Yeah. Zeus, Hades' father, Kronos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kronos swallowed all of his children, but they were alive in their stomach and they fought their way out. Do you think that mm-hmm. the gods that Kaanor has eaten are still alive, and Ooh. we will, if we damage Kaanor, we can save the gods? That he's already devoured and add them to our cause. I like That's it. That's a good theory. I like, I like that, that a lot. lot. It's very like Little Red Riding Hood and the Wolf. I think that Kaanor will show up. I think what will happen is they will make it. Uh, they will ally with the good god of whatever realm this is in, mm-hmm. and they'll be like, "We have a plan to save you know Everworld," and then Kaanor will show up and eat that god, and they'll be back. They'll be back <laughs> to their point of aimlessly wandering by the end of the book. You know what? We'll That's have to call it then. We'll have to call it Evor World. <laughs> Very good. Oh, man. I have nothing more to say. I have one more thing to say. I, I think the point about maybe this not being April on the cover of the fourth book is a good one. I think we're finally going to get a goddess. Ooh, I would like that. I don't know who it's going to be. Underworld goddesses. Could be Persephone. Well, Persephone. Women? Ooh, Persephone. That's a good one. Because she but does kind of to have blue eyes, which so is not she's, April anyway. Persephone, as imagined by Apple Grant, is literally half, half alive and half dead. Well, yeah, that's because, the half of her face that ate the pomegranate. Yeah, that is She that only is chewed so on the side of her mouth. Hilarious and not how it works, but I kind of love it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Okay. I think that's solid. Persephone is a good is I a think good that's, that's, that's solid theory. Okay, so Jaleel, Greek, 
Hades. Yeah, and also maybe Thor. I'm not sure. I have a lot of predictions, apparently. That's great. That's good. I have a lot of things I'm excited to rant about if they do it that way. Yes. All right. That's what we're going to get next time. More Grey Rants. Our Apple Grants. Apple Grants. Oh, no. If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. Oh, Bridget. This cat is so cute. Oh my gosh. Gray has a cat sitting on her shoulders. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming Gray will cut the cat commentary, but wow. Catmentary.